welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. I have a uh, few qualifications to make uh, prior to preaching. I'm, uh, I'm actually in the sleep-deprived zone to the point where I don't know what I'm saying. And um, it, may be, it may be, if there's anything that good happens, um, that'll be the Lord. I hope I don't have any heresy to repent of later after this. Uh, but uh, if you've been at Christ Church through uh, Holy Week, uh, we really do Holy Week. God really blesses us, and He shows up in powerful ways. We really started at Palm Sunday last week, celebrating the triumphal entry, and it moved into a, a remembrance of the Passion. We we had um, Maundy Thursday service, the foot washing service. That's right. Just like Primitive Baptists, we got there first, though. We've been washing feet. We've been washing feet since A.D. 33. So, and then... Uh, Good Friday. I think I, I just think we camped here. I don't. I have a cot in the back. And I stayed here, but Easter vigil is a great service, and we were here till late last night worshiping the Lord. So there's a, there's been a lot happening in this place, and I I think the Holy Spirit has. I, I just sense that ongoing presence of the Lord among us this morning. And as we turn to that passage that we heard from Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 24, I want you to I want to point out something. There is a there's a little word that gets hidden in the resurrection account in St. Luke's gospel that actually that word in the Greek does not occur in, at any other time in the New Testament. No other place in the New Testament does this word get used. And that word is leros, leros. It's not a complimentary word. It's not a friendly word. It's a word that had a lot of punch in it in the original language. It's not profanity in the Greek but probably the English term that comes closest to actually capturing the punch isn't something that we, we would use in polite company. It's the, um, oh, I think it's probably that English term that is associated with the inevitable residue of male bovines. So um, think about it. Uh, that's probably what they heard. Here's, here's where we hear that term actually in Luke chapter 24. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So the translators of the English Standard Version of the Scriptures rendered the apostles' evaluation of the women's account of the resurrection of Jesus to be an idle tale. But let me repeat a definition of this word that I actually gave a few Easter's ago. It sounded to the apostles like malarkey, baloney, bunkum, codswallop, hogwash, hokum, hooey, horse feathers, poppycock, tommy rot, tosh, tosh, <laughs> trash, trumpery. Twaddle, or just a steaming pile of Leros. <laughs> and yet, here is the irony in this text. 
I want you to think about this. What sounded like idle talk to the male disciples was actually the truest truth and the realest reality ever uttered by human lips. And all the unbelieving disciples heard was Leros. In a sense, you can't blame them. I mean, you know, we know that dead people just don't stop being dead people. And to say otherwise normally is just foolishness. Yet it was their, now the, the, the irony is it is their own unbelief. It is the unbelieving disciples' unbelief that is itself nonsense, Leros. And the reality is that much of what we say, I want you to think about this, is even as believers, much of what we say, much of what we tell ourselves and others is in light of the resurrection, just that, Leros. We need to listen to ourselves through the filter of the truth that Jesus Christ rose bodily, not metaphorically. If Jesus just rose metaphorically, you're all going to die in your sins. A metaphor is not enough to to save us. He He didn't just rise in some ephemeral spiritual way among his disciples because, oh, it's just like he's with us right now. Just like, oh, I, you know, it says so real to me in my heart this moment. It's just like he's still with us. Well, you know, that might see you through a good day, but when they're torturing you for the confession that Jesus is alive, you might say, you know, that feeling's gone away now. I'm not feeling it so much. So metaphors and spiritual non-realities are not what we're talking about here. It's the truth that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, and we need to fix the reality of that living, breathing, walking around, getting touched, eating fish, sorry vegans, (laughs) and bread. That Jesus, that Jesus needs to be held firmly in front of us so that we don't go around saying lots of Leros. Like the Leros we heard from some Christians, especially from my own tribe, evangelicals, this week when the Cathedral of Notre Dame burned. People said things like, well, we just shouldn't mourn this disaster. All these people weeping on the streets of Paris, they shouldn't be mourning this disaster. It's just stuff, and stuff doesn't matter. Well, brothers and sisters, the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead shows us that God thinks that stuff does matter. In fact, the resurrection shows that God thinks stuff is infinitely important, eternally important, because Jesus has still got that body today. He didn't just shed it somehow on the way up on the on the day of ascension and say, well, I won't be needing that anymore. He still is in his body that bears the wounds of the crucifixion, which in glory are beautified. Physical stuff is so important that God himself is going to redeem matter itself. 
He's going to glorify all of his material creation and raise it up with Christ in the final consummation of that victory that began when Jesus rose triumphant over matter-defying death. And those people who labored to build Notre Dame Cathedral for 100 years from 1160 A.D. to 1260 A.D., a hundred years that was started by people whose grandchildren and great-grandchildren finished the job, those people knew that matter mattered. They knew that stuff doesn't they knew that to, that to say, oh, stuff doesn't matter, stuff isn't important, is an unbiblical statement. In fact, it is the, it is the heresy of Gnosticism. Well, you didn't come to hear all about heresies this morning, but I'm going to tell you. Gnosticism is the belief that the material world is not that important. In fact, it's not even good. It just doesn't matter. And that, and they, and we love to say things like this. Gnostics love this. You might, I don't want to offend you Gnostics out there, but we say things like this sometimes. This world is not my home. And one day I'm going to finally die and shed this old body and fly away to be with Jesus in heaven as a disembodied spirit forever and ever. And won't that be grand? Well, no. It would not be grand. It would be, it would be horrible. And to advocate for that view directly contradicts the word of God and God's revealed will for humanity. Think about it. I want you to think about it. The creation account back in Genesis chapter two is very clear. Chapter two, verse seven. Listen to it again. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He formed the man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, did you hear that? Did uh, did God create Adam as a spirit being and stick him in a body? No, that is not what happened. God created Adam as dirt, (laughs) as a body, the material stuff of this world, And then he breathed into him the breath of life. God created a a body first and then breathed into it a spirit. So that means, dear friends, that you and I are not immaterial, immaterial spirits trapped in physical bodies. You and I are, we are physical, spiritual totalities. You are your body. You are stuff. And God loves that stuff so much that he joined himself to it when he himself took on flesh in Jesus Christ. And he loved it so much that he wasn't going to discard it in the grave. But on the third day, Jesus reclaimed a physical glorified body and came striding out, leaving footprints in a garden. And one day you and I will do the same thing. It's not that you're not getting rid of some, oh, this physical body, then I'm going to have a spiritual body, which we think means like I'm going to walk, you know, I'm going to be semi-transparent. No, spiritual body doesn't mean less real. It means ultimately real. It'll be more material, more real, more substantial. It'll have more oesis than the body you are in right now. Bible word for the day, oesis. Substance. It's Leros, 
when we talk like death is the final word. You know, one of the most frequent reasons people give me for not following Jesus or believing in God is that something bad happened to me. Or I, or as one person who was way too young to, say, to be taken seriously when they said this, living in the West, I've seen some pretty bad stuff, man. Well, uh, you were raised in a country club community. I don't think you were raised in the inner city or a war zone. No. And the objection runs that if God were real, he would not have let these bad things happen to me. If God was real, all this bad stuff would not have happened to me. And often I found that if I drill down deep enough, the bad thing that happened to them really is a bad thing. It is that someone that they love has died, maybe died out of time. In other words, young or in a very painful way. A friend or a parent or a child or a lover has died painfully or unexpectedly or in a way that stripped them of their dignity. It's the child killed by a drunk driver or the random act of violence or cancer in a young mother or the long dehumanizing death of dementia. And it is right to sit with such people and grieve with them and share their sorrow. But there does come a time when we cling to our loss to the point that it makes us embrace idle talk, leros. Death is horrible. Death, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is a power in and of itself And in verse 26, it says that it is the last and greatest enemy of humanity. But to say, I will not follow Christ because of the tragedy of a death is leros, foolishness. And why is that? Well, first of all, we need to think about this. And we we live very padded, comfortable, bubble-wrapped lives in in, in North America in the early 21st century, we are a bubble-wrapped civilization. We need to realize, though, first of all, everyone, everyone, everyone that you love, from that little bitty baby to that sweet old grandmama, is going to die, and death is never pleasant. It may be peaceful if we die in Christ, but it is never pleasant. And more than that, more than the fact that everyone you love is going to die, let me tell you what, your mortality rate is right up there with theirs. You are going to die as well. You are not special. And when death happens to those we love, and then when it happens to us, the universe has not, the universe has not singled you out for specially bad treatment. <laughs> And to act as if it has is callow and immature. Look, just last Sunday, Palm Sunday, 16 of your Nigerian brothers and sisters in Christ were having a party. These were good Baptist followers of Jesus in Nigeria. They had just had a baby dedication, kept that baby far from water. No baptisms. But they had a, they were having a wonderful celebration. They just had an infant dedication and they were having a wonderful party, a feast to celebrate that. And all the family and the extended family were there. 
and Fulani Islamic militants showed up and began to spray bullets into that crowd of people. And 16 of those people, including the mother of that sweet little baby, were killed. Many children were killed in that group as well. They were butchered in the state of Nasarawa uh, at a feast celebrating Jesus. And none of the survivors who saw some really bad stuff, man, rejected Jesus or stopped believing in God because of death and injustice. And here's the reason why. Christians know that Jesus Christ is the only and the historical answer to the universal problem of death. He is the only answer. To reject Jesus Christ because of the enemy that is death is to, is to reject the only one who has solved the problem of death. And to do that would be Leros. The God you reject is the only one who has trampled down death by death and bestowed life on those who are in the tomb. The very, so, the very solution to your sense of cosmic grief and loss is the God you refuse to embrace. Look, if Jesus had not conquered death, if he was dead, Jesus, I would be right there with you. And so would St. Paul. St. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 and following, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Did you know Christians were able to think critically that, that much, even all the way back in the first century? Yes. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who, and then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have just perished. If, Christ, if in Christ we have hope, this is St. Paul, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the dead are not raised, this is Paul, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That is some clear-headed thinking. That is not Leros. But Christ is truly risen from the dead. And as the scriptures declare, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Since Jesus is alive, injustice is not the final word. You know, injustice like being crucified for only doing good things. Death is not the final word. And to act as if it is, is Leros. It's idle talk to say that somehow you have messed up. It is idle talk to say that somehow you have messed up or are so far gone that there is nothing in Easter for you except fulfilling some family obligation. Remember that Easter happened even to Peter who had denied his Lord. Peter's denial did not stop Jesus from raising from the dead. Easter happened to all the disciples who ran away when Jesus was arrested. Jesus is arrested. I got to get out of here, man. Easter happens regardless of how sinful and undeserving you and I feel ourselves to be. Thank you, God. 
that my failure is not enough to keep you from raising the dead and bringing transformation. And because Easter happened, when Peter denied Jesus and the disciples ran away, we can never say there's no hope for people like us. There is hope for people like us. Thanks be to God. Our unfaithfulness cannot hinder the victory of Christ's resurrection, and to say otherwise is just sheer leros. But you know, Peter, the disciple who had denied Jesus, in the passage we heard this morning, does something that sets an example that every one of us in this room who have met the risen Jesus have followed, and that is this. Peter took a chance that the narrative he was believing, I'm a failure, I've denied him. Everything I hoped and dreamed about is all ashes, he's dead. Peter took a chance that the counter-narrative that those women brought on Easter morning was not Laros. So Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, that sometimes when we take a, t- a chance, we make a chance decision like that, it's very, there's a lot of inertia at the very beginning. A lot of inertia at the very beginning. We think we might just walk towards the answer. But I think after Peter rose and he started, he probably takes a few steps out of, out of his seat wherever he is. And as he takes those steps, that walking immediately turns into running. I know a guy that that happened to who uh, accepted Christ one Sunday morning in a church, in a little Methodist church in North Carolina. And he, uh, he said that he, he was going to walk up to the altar very sedately and kneel down and accept Christ at an altar call at a Methodist church. It used to happen back then. And he said that when he got out of the pew, all of his intentions of dignity were washed away, and he ran to the altar. Peter ran. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter took a chance that that his own narrative of defeat was the actual idle talk and that the women's message was, in fact, the most wonderful news that had ever been told, and he came away amazed at the truth. Jesus is on the loose. Betrayal and denial cannot defeat him. Death cannot hold him. Hell cannot contain him. Sin cannot stop his love. And to this day, people still take a chance that this crazy talk from gasping, panting women is worth investigating and have been shocked to encounter this man who just won't stay dead. And if death can't stop Jesus, beloved, there is nothing so broken in your life or my life that he cannot overcome it. There is no captivity, no disappointment, No adversity in our personal lives as believers or our corporate life as a church that the living Christ cannot change from death to life. 
defeated Christians, you need to get some perspective. Jesus is alive. Stop talking Leros. Jesus is not intimidated by your personal failure. He's already been dead and come back from that. (laughs) So the fact that you suck at life really isn't a challenge for him at all. (laughs) He said that in church. (laughs) Even when the worst thing that can happen to us finally does happen, and they put us in a hole in the ground and they pour dirt on our face, and go back to the parish hall and eat fried chicken, because Jesus is alive, we are still not beyond hope even then. Thanks be to God. Because dead Jesus is now the risen, living Jesus, there is no such thing as beyond hope. No such thing as beyond hope anymore. And if you think that's idle talk, then I dare you. No, I triple dog dare you to take the chance today and run to the empty tomb. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.